Hatchet by Gary Paulson, Chapter 2 For a time that he could not understand, Brian could do nothing. Even after his mind began working and he could see what had happened, he could do nothing. It was as if his hands and arms were lead. Then he looked for ways for it not to have happened. Be asleep, his mind screamed at the pilot. Just be asleep and your eyes will open now and your hands will take the controls and your feet will move to the pedals. But it did not happen. The pilot did not move, except that his head rolled on a neck impossibly loose as the plane hit a small bit of turbulence. The plane! Somehow the plane was still flying. Seconds had passed, nearly a minute, and the plane flew on its own as if nothing had happened. And he had to do something. He had to do something, but he did not know what. Help! He had to help. He stretched one hand toward the pilot, saw that his fingers were trembling, and touched the pilot on the chest. He did not know what to do. He knew there were procedures, that you could do mouth-to-mouth on victims of heart attacks and push their chest, CPR. But he did not know how to do it, and in any case could not do it with the pilot, who was sitting up in the seat and still strapped in with his seatbelt. So he touched the pilot with the tips of his fingers, touched him on the chest, and could feel nothing, no heartbeat, no rise and falling of breath, which meant that the pilot was almost certainly dead. Please, Brian said, but did not know where or who to ask. Please. The plane lurched again, hit more turbulence, and Brian felt the nose drop. It did not dive, but the nose went down slightly, and the down angle increased the speed, and he knew that at this angle, his slight angle down, he would immediately, ultimately fly into the trees. He could see them ahead on the horizon, where before he could see only sky. He had to fly it somehow. Had to fly the plane. Had to help himself. The pilot was gone, beyond anything he could do. He had to try and fly the plane. He turned back in his seat, facing the front, and put his hands, still trembling, on the control wheel, his feet gently on the rudder pedals. He pulled back on the stick to raise the plane. He knew that from reading. You always pulled back on the wheel. He gave it a tug, and it slid back toward him easily, too easily. The plane, with the increased speed from the tilt down, swooped eagerly and up and drove Brian's stomach down. He pushed the wheel back in, in too far this time, and the plane's nose went down below the horizon, and the engine speed increased with the shallow dive. Too much! He pulled back again, more gently this time, and the nose floated up again, too far but not as violently as before then down a bit too much and up again as before then down a bit too much and up again very easily and the front of the engine's cowling settled when he had it aimed at the horizon and it seemed to be steady he held the wheel where it was let out his breath which he had been holding all this time and tried to think what to do next it was clear blue sky day with fluffy bits of clouds here and there, and he looked out the window for a moment, hoping to see something, a town or a village, but there was nothing, just the green of the trees, endless green, and lakes scattered more and more thickly as the plane flew. Where? He was flying, but he did not know where. He had no idea where he was going. He looked at the dashboard of the plane, studied the dials, and hoped to get some help, hoped to find a compass, but it was all so confusing a jumble of numbers and lights. One lighted display in the top center of the dashboard said the number 342. Another next to it said 22. Down beneath 
that were the dials with lines that seemed to indicate where the winds were doing, tipping or moving, and one dial with a needle pointing to the number 70, which he thought only thought might be the altimeter, the device that told him his height was above ground or above sea level. Somewhere he had read something about altimeters, but he couldn't remember what or where or anything about them. Slightly to the left and below the altimeter, he saw a small rectangular panel with a lighted dial and two knobs. His eyes had passed it or two or three times before, before he saw what was written on the tiny letters on top of the panel. Transmitter 221 was stamped in the metal, and it hit him. Finally, that was the radio. The radio, of course. He had to use the radio. When the pilot had had been hit that way, he couldn't bring himself to say the pilot was dead. He couldn't think of it. He had been trying to use the radio. Brian looked at the pilot. The headset was still on his head, turned sideways a bit from his jamming back into the seat, and the microphone switch was clipped onto his belt. Brian had to get to the headset from the pilot, had to reach over and get the headset from the pilot, or he would not be able to use the radio to call for help. He had to reach over. His hands began trembling again. He did not want to touch the pilot, did not want to reach for him, but he had to. He had to get the radio. He lifted his hands from the wheel, just slightly, and held them, waiting to see what would happen. The plane flew on normally, smoothly. All right, he thought. Now, now to do this thing. He turned and reached for the headset, slid it from the pilot's head, one eye on the plane, waiting for it to dive. The headset came easily, but the microphone switch at the pilot's belt was jammed in and it had to pull to get it loose. When he pulled, his elbow bumped the wheel and pushed it, and the plane started down in a shallow dive. Brian grabbed the wheel and pulled it back, too hard again, and the plane went through another series of stomach-wrenching swoops up and down before he could get it under control. When things had settled again, he pulled at the mic cord once more and a last jerk the cord free. It took him another second or two to place the headset on his own head and position the small microphone tube in front. in front of his mouth. He had seen the pilot use it, had seen him depress the switch at his belt, so Brian pushed the switch in and blew the mic. He heard the sound of his breath in the headset. Hello? Is there anybody listening on this? Hello? He repeated it two or three times and then waited, but nothing. All he could hear is except his own breath. Panic came then. He had been afraid had been stopped with the terror of what was happening, but now panic came and he began to scream into the microphone, scream over and over. Help! Somebody help me! I'm in this plane and I don't know! I don't know! I don't know! And he started crying with the screams, crying and slamming his hands against the wheel of the plane, causing it to jerk down and then back up. But again, he heard nothing but the sound of his own sobs in the microphone, his own screams mocking him, coming back into tears. The microphone. Awareness cut him. He had used a CB radio in his uncle's pickup once. You had to turn the mic switch off to hear anybody else. He reached to his belt and released the switch. For a second, all he heard was the whoosh of the empty airwaves. Then through the noise and static, he heard a voice. Whoever is calling this radio, I repeat, release your mic switch. You are covering me. You are covering me. Over. It stopped and Brian hit his mic switch. I hear you, I hear you, this is me. He released the switch. Roger, I have you now. The voice was very faint and breaking up. Please state your difficulty in location and say over to signal end of transmission, over. 
Please state my difficulty, Brian thought. God, my difficulty. I'm in a plane with a pilot who is, uh, he can't fly, and I don't know how to fly. Help me, help! He turned his mic off without ending the transmission properly. There was a moment's hesitation before the answer. Your signal is breaking up, and I lost most of it. Understand, pilot? You can't fly? Correct? Over? Brian could barely hear him now, heard mostly noise and static. That's right, I can't fly. The plane is flying now, and I don't know how much longer. Over? Lost signal. Your location, please. Flight number. Location. Over. I don't know my flight number or location. I don't know anything. I told you that. Over. He waited now. Waited, but there was nothing. Once for a second he thought he heard a break in the noise, some part of a word, but it could have been static. Two, three minutes, ten minutes. The plane roared and Brian listened, but heard no one. Then he hit the switch again. I do not know the flight number. My name is Brian Robeson, and we left Hampton, New York, headed for the Canadian oil fields to visit my father, and I do not know how to fly an airplane, and the pilot... He let go of the mic. His voice was starting to rattle, and he felt as if he might start screaming at any second. He took a deep breath. If there's anybody listening who can help me fly a plane, please answer. And he released the mic, but heard nothing but the hissing of the noise in the headset. After half an hour of listening and repeating the cry for help, he tore the headset off in frustration and threw it to the floor. It all seemed so hopeless, even if he did get somebody. What could anybody do? Tell him to be careful? All so hopeless. He tried to figure out the dials again. He thought he might know which was speed. It was a lighted number that read 160 but he didn't know if that was the actual miles an hour or kilometers or if this meant just how fast the plane was moving through the air and not the ground. He knew airspeed was different from ground speed, but not by how much. Parts of a book he read about flying came to him, how wings worked, how the propeller pulled the plane through the sky, simple things that wouldn't help him now. Nothing could help him now. An hour passed. He picked up the headset and tried again. It was, he knew, in the end, all he had, but there was no answer. He felt like a prisoner, kept in a small cell that was hurtling through the sky at what he thought to be 160 miles an hour, headed, he didn't know where, just headed somewhere until there, there it was. Until what? Until it ran out of fuel? When the plane ran out of fuel, it would go down, period. Or he could pull the throttle and make it go down now. He had seen the pilot push the throttle into increased speed. If he pulled the throttle back out, the engine would slow down and the plane would go down. Those were his choices. He could wait for the plane to run out of gas and fall, or he could push the throttle in and make it happen sooner. If he waited for the plane to run out of fuel, he would go farther, but he did not know which way he was moving. When the pilot had jerked, he had, put, he had moved the plane, but Brian could not remember how much or if it had come back to its original course since he did not know the original course anyways and could only guess at which display might be the compass, the one reading 342, he did not know where he had been, where he was going, so it didn't make much difference if he went down now or if he waited. Everything in him rebelled against stopping the engine and falling now. He had a vague feeling that he was wrong to keep heading as the plane was heading and a feeling that he might be going off in the wrong direction, but he could not bring himself to stop the engine and fall. Now he was safe or safer than if he went down. The plane was flying, he was still breathing. When the engine stopped, he would go down. So he left the plane running, holding altitude, and kept trying the radio. 
He worked out a system every 10 minutes by the small clock built into the dashboard, and he tried the radio with a simple message. I need help. Is there anybody listening to me? In the times between transmissions, he tried to prepare himself for what he knew was coming. When he ran out of fuel, the plane would start to go down. He guessed that without the propeller pushing, he would have to pull the nose down to keep the plane flying. He thought he may have read that somewhere or it just came to him. Either way, it made sense. He would have to push the nose down to keep flying speed, and then, just before he hit, he would have to pull the nose back up to slow the plane as much as possible. It all made sense. Glide down, then slow the plane, and hit. Hit. He would have to find a clearing as he went down. The problem that there hadn't been one clearing since they started flying over the forest. Some swamps, but they had trees scattered around them. No roads, no trails, no clearings, just the lakes. And it came to him that he would have to use the lake for a landing. He went down in the trees. He was certain to die. The trees would tear the plane to pieces as it went into them. He would have to come down in a lake. No, on the edge of a lake. He would have to come down near the edge of the lake and try to slow the plane as much as possible just before he hit the water. Easy to say, he thought, hard to do. Easy say, hard do. Easy say, hard do. It became a chant that beat with the engine. Easy say, hard do. Impossible to do. He repeated the radio call 17 times at 10-minute intervals, working on where he'd do between transmissions. Once more, he reached over the pilot and touched him on the face, but the skin was cold, hard cold, death cold, and Brian turned back to the dashboard. He did what he could, tightened his seatbelt, positioned himself, rehearsed mentally again and again what procedure should be. When the plane ran out of gas, he should hold the nose down and head for the nearest lake and try to fly the plane into the water. That's how he thought of it kind of fly the plane onto the water and just before it hit he should pull back on the wheel and slow the plane to reduce the impact over and over his mind ran the picture of how it would go the plane running out of gas flying the plane onto the water the crash from pictures he'd seen on television he tried to visualize it he tried to be ready but between the 17th and 18th radio transmission without a warning the engine coughed roared violently for a second and died There was a sudden silence, cut only by the sound of the windmilling propeller and the wind past the cockpit. Brian pushed the nose of the plane down and threw up. Stay tuned for more.